You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for July 25th, 2021, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. For a long time, Jesus feeding the 5,000 was not among my favorite Bible stories, even though it's told no fewer than six times across the four Gospels. Matthew and Mark both include two versions of Jesus feeding a multitude. Clearly, it was significant for early Christian communities. But I've always struggled with how unrealistic it sounds. The crowds are en route from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Most of them must have taken that trip every year. Why would 5,000 people on an annual journey set out without enough food? But here they do. And then I feel a little bothered by Jesus. Maybe it's my Western capitalist vantage point, but why does Jesus think it's his responsibility to feed all those people when they have planned so poorly for their outing? Certainly they're not expecting him, the itinerant teacher, to feed them. It's not like he invited them to follow him across the sea and up the mountain and into the wilderness to hear him speak some more. On the contrary, Jesus was trying to get away from the crowd. Until now, he's been changing water into wine, he's been diffusing confrontations with Pharisees, engaging with Samaritans, healing the lame and the sick, nonstop teaching and healing everywhere he goes. He's trying to take a break at this point in John's Gospel. But the people keep coming to him for more. They're hungry for more of his signs. Now, they're also hungry for food. And Jesus never turns his back on hungry people. This simple realization leads me to read this story differently. Jesus never turns his back on hungry people. He takes it upon himself to not only fill their hearts with wisdom, but to fill their stomachs with bread, too. Ever the teacher, Jesus gets his disciples involved in the crowd's needs, opening the way for their own minds and hearts to become like his. Where can we buy food to feed all these people, Jesus asks rhetorically. His disciple Philip's mind goes where mine might go. There's no place to buy food, and even if there was, it would cost six months' wages. And then there appears a boy who's not like me and not like Philip. He's a sensible boy, or a boy with a sensible mother, who actually packed a lunch. And he steps right up and offers his loaves and two fishes. I get the sense the other disciple, Andrew, is being a little sarcastic when he brings the boy to Jesus' attention, maybe to drive the point home that it will be impossible to feed all these people. Nevertheless, The boy really does offer his lunch of bread and fish, and he does so without a word about how small his offering is compared to the need at hand. He expresses not a doubt that Jesus could use it somehow. It's all he has, and to his mind, apparently, it's worth sharing. So Jesus takes him seriously. This is what the mystics might call the Zen mind, It's the opposite of scarcity mentality. Instead, the boy has an open mind, 
an attitude that anything and everything is possible. He approaches the situation like Jesus does, with his hands open, a loose grip on the small gift he has to offer, a willingness to offer it up in case it might do some good. According to the writer of John, Jesus sees this coming. He must have seen that boy and recognized a kindred spirit. They are a pair of companions in the truest sense of the word. The word companion comes from the Latin roots com and panis, together with bread. A companion is someone who shares bread together with another. It would be tempting to call Jesus a foodie. He did love to eat. He loved to go to dinner parties. But more than that, more than an actual interest in food, he was a true companion. He shared food with others. And his lasting command to his disciples was to do what he did. Take bread, bless it, give it to our friends, and whenever we do, do it to remember him. To literally remember, reconstitute, make present the life of Jesus wherever we are gathered. Bread is one of the oldest foods in the world. A small morsel discovered only three years ago in the Black Desert of Jordan is said to be more than 14,000 years old. People all over the world eat bread, and they always have. And eating food together has been the mark of civilization since the dawn of the hunter-gatherer. In an essay called The Anthropology of Table Manners, the critic Guy Davenport said that the beginning of civilization is marked by the concept of sharing food, in which simple idea, he says, we can see the inception of the family, the community, the state. Jesus chose bread and a shared meal, things so ordinary and so common to human life, perhaps on purpose, so that we might be prompted to remember him daily, or more than daily, every time we eat with others. Even though it is mostly in church and in ritual fashion that we enact Jesus' command to break bread together, I'd like to think that Jesus meant for us to remember him every time we share bread or any kind of food with others. Our lives might look quite a bit different if we did remember Jesus every time we sat down to a meal with family and friends or co-workers. Today after church, I will baptize a baby in the courtyard, in keeping with our ongoing pandemic-era small baptisms. And the first promise in our liturgy for baptism is that we will continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. This is a line lifted straight out of the book of Acts, chapter 2, and it recalls the most basic practices of the early Christians. They gathered together, they ate together, they prayed together. And I've come to flesh out this promise when I'm preparing families for baptism by proposing that it it implies something more than just finding a church and taking communion on Sundays. Instead, I believe that continuing in the teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread together means to remember and embody the things that Jesus taught whenever we are at table together. That is, first and foremost, to love one another, to forgive one another, be patient with one another, 
Give generously and work out our differences with one another, to be at peace with one another. In other words, to strive for harmony with families, friends, and co-workers in all of our relationships, so much so that there isn't anyone in our lives with whom we wouldn't sit down and break bread together. That is how Jesus lived. He dined at a Pharisee's table as readily as he did with his disciples. He fed Judas, even as Judas was on his way out the door to betray him. And Jesus fed this multitude. He fed them even though they were terrible planners and strangers, and even though it wasn't necessarily his responsibility to feed them. Jesus was present to everyone and anyone who hungered for bread or hungered for the sharing of bread. Jesus never turns his back on hungry people. Jesus used the table as the place that represented not just enough bread to go around, but enough love, healing, forgiveness, and companionship for anyone ready to receive them and with plenty left over. Because the table represents the place where the physical hunger and the spiritual hunger meet, the place where physical hunger is met with bread and spiritual hunger is met in the sharing. Both of these hungers are met in the boy who offers his meager loaves and fishes, and that's it. We don't need much. We just need to share what we have, and whatever we have is enough. With Jesus, it's never about quantity of bread we have, but about the quality of sharing that we have. As Ephesians tells us today, God, whose power is at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine with whatever gift we offer to share with others. None of us can work miracles without the power of God working through us, but when we share what we have, however little or a lot, miraculously, that will be enough. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org. Thank you.